They're crazy, they're zany, and just plain nuts. But they love Jesus. America's Keswick and all of you. Here are the hosts of the Bob and Bill podcast, Robert Hayes and Bill Will. Well, good afternoon, Bob. Well, good afternoon, Bill. How are you doing? I'm very, very good. This is Wacky Wednesday. I know, it's crazy. And uh, let's tell them what happened this Saturday for the walk because some of the folks just listened to our podcast. It was an amazing day um, celebrating the Family Freedom Walk in a virtual way. So it was very, very different not to have people on the campus, but we were able to uh, virtually celebrate together uh, rehearsing God's greatness, and he brought in $163,000. And our goal was 115000 So really, really amazing. It was awesome. And we're just very grateful to all of you who prayed and gave and met with Kathy, and she said we talked about what the goal is for next year. Oh, no. I know. What is it? <laughs> 125000 We oh, decided wow, to awesome. go easy on her this year. That's awesome. Next year. So, hey, we really appreciate you joining us today. We're going to have Pastor Ken Carson share the Word of God with us. Pastor Ken serves on the team at Bayside Chapel in Barnegat, and he was our speaker for our virtual Addiction Addiction Recovery Recovery Reunion Weekend. (laughs) I can't wait till we can do things like... Oh, we really miss you people being here. But Pastor Ken's a great communicator of the Word of God, so let's give, give a listen to part one of this message. Well, when 
Bill asked me last year to speak this weekend, I had very little idea what to speak about. Uh, but these past couple months ha have really made that decision much easier. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there are several things that have become very clear to me the previous eight weeks. Uh, one is just how poor the world really is and just how rich we are as followers of Jesus. I I've really seen this contrast these past weeks. Um, and by poor, I'm not talking about financial wealth. I'm talking about spiritual wealth. You see, prior to this pandemic, people were breezing about their everyday lives, satisfied with the things of earth and uh, seemingly, um, and seemingly in control of their own little worlds. But as things started to get more and more serious, those who appeared to have it all together revealed just how poor they actually are when they realized that all their wealth, resources, education and achievements, all those things in the world mean nothing in times like these. Now, in contrast to this kind of spiritual poverty stand those who are Christ followers, right? Those who are so richly and abundantly blessed in Christ Jesus, who are ridiculously wealthy, spiritually speaking. That's one thing. Well, the second thing these last weeks have taught me is just how important prayer is. See, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that there's never any struggle uh, maintaining a faithful life of prayer. I struggle just as much as anybody with setting aside time to pray. I understand how easy it is to get distracted during those quiet times, especially with little ones who wreak havoc in every room in the house starting the moment the sun rises. Um, and, and I understand the struggle with not knowing uh, what I should specifically be praying for. But despite all of these struggles, what the previous weeks have taught me is just how precious prayer is and how necessary it is in order to truly understand our incredible wealth. So over the next few sessions, uh, we're going to join the Apostle Paul and listen to some of his words to the church in Ephesus. And tonight we're going to look at the first half of Ephesians chapter 1, where we see some of the many spiritual blessings that belong to us in Christ. Then tomorrow we'll go right into the second half, of Ephesians chapter 1, we'll, where uh, we'll examine one of Paul's prayers in hopes of understanding our prayer life a little better. And then Sunday, we're going to look at the second half of Ephesians chapter 3, where we see Paul's second prayer for the Ephesians. And we'll be working through that passage to get a better understanding just how much we can experience God during our times of prayer, in our lives of prayer. So with that, let's pray. Father, we give to you this time. Thank you for the ability that we have to meet, um, even virtually. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for being just as faithful even during trying times like this as you always are. God, I pray that your spirit would illuminate to us your word. Change us, transform us. Lord, may we be encouraged and challenged what you say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in uh, 1999, Disney released a uh, made-for-TV movie called Annie. Now, you remember Little Orphan Annie, right? I was 12 years old when the movie came out. Um, and because I'm the middle child of my family, sandwiched between two sisters, 
I rarely got to pick the VHS, the VHS tapes we'd watch in the van for our long car rides to and from Florida. Well, Annie happened to be one of those movies that we watched all the time. Now, of course, the movie's a remake based off an older movie and play and an even older comic strip. But in all the versions, the story is similar. Annie is a wide-eyed little orphan girl who's taken in by the extremely wealthy Daddy Warbucks. And then the story shows how a poor, undeserving, downtrodden orphan becomes heir to a vast fortune. It's a rags-to-riches story. And we love these kinds of stories because we all hold out hope that something like that could happen to us. We all hope that maybe we'll strike it rich, or that we'll win the lottery, or that some long-lost wealthy relative will leave his inheritance to us. And wouldn't you love to have something like that happen to you? Well, here's the thing. Guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, it already has. Ours is a rags-to-riches story, even better than Annie's. Only we were worse off than Annie at the beginning of our story. We weren't just orphans, but we were enemies of God. We were completely alone in the world, lost and hopeless and spiritually dead. But God, the, the richest one in existence, has made us ridiculously wealthy in Christ. Yet, most of us don't even realize what we have. Well, in large part, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is about reminding us what we truly have and reminding us who we truly are. Now, Paul wrote this letter around 61 AD, and he wrote it to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a place where uh, Paul himself had spent two years teaching the people there about Christ. Now, on a map, you would locate Ephesus along the coastline of the Aegean Sea, um, and that's where Western Turkey is now. Well, if you strolled through the town of Ephesus in the first century, you'd find several impressive structures. You'd see a huge temple built for idol worship. You'd see a 25,000-seat theater. And then you'd also pass through what was known as the Agora. That was uh, the entryway into this huge marketplace the size of two side-by-side uh, -side football fields. See, Ephesus wasn't just a few dusty streets with a few dozen houses, goats, and donkeys. Ephesus was like the Tokyo or New York City of its day. Yet as impressive as the architecture was, and as wealthy as many of its citizens were, Ephesus was a very dark place, filled with drunkenness, prostitution, robbery, idol worship, and uh, all the other ills that befall an urban city in a broken world. Well, around 53 AD, a guy named Paul arrives in town and begins talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as a result of this, a movement gets formed in the region. A church is born. And Paul ministers there to them for two years, but then he had to leave. Well, some time goes on, and uh, many of these new disciples, or some, at least, of these new disciples, uh, start falling into some of their own sin patterns and such. And Paul eventually hears about it. So he writes to this church, and he gives them a refresher course in the gospel. Um, and that refresher course is in our Bibles as Ephesians. So let's jump right into the text um, and begin um, with the first two verses in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, 
If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to uh, be following along or uh, follow along in, in, on your phone or something. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm reading from ESV. First two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what I love, is that for Paul, right off the bat, it doesn't matter if he heard the news of how the Ephesians were messing up and not living as they should. See, Paul was still going to address them as they really are. And what are they? Well, they're saints. Right? They're saints to the saints who are in Ephesus. And Paul's setting the stage for everything to follow by making sure the believers in Ephesus have a firm understanding of their true identity. Right? They're not the sum total of their mistakes. They're not uh, the second-class citizens others thought them to be. And they're not even sinners saved by grace. They're saints. They're those who have been set apart for God. Now, this is a statement of identity. See, and we need to remind ourselves that this is who we are. In Christ, we are saints. We're saints not in the sense of uh, just being very pious people, but we're saints because of the new relationship we've been brought into by God. We're saints not because of our own doing or our own good works. We're saints on account of what Christ has done. Now, what's so cool about this next passage um, in, in Ephesians is that Paul teaches the Ephesians so many marvelous truths about who they are and the great blessings they have, but he does it indirectly. See, he doesn't say, you are this, you are that, all set, go home. Rather, as if uh, Paul's thinking about the great blessings that are ours in Christ, he, he bursts out in praise to God. And it's actually in his praise to God where he uh, retells all the marvelous things that are true of believers. Now, we can't see it in our English translations, but verses 13 to 14 are actually one massive run-on sentence uh, in the Greek. There, there aren't any breaks in the original language. I think it's like 202 words or something like that. And though Paul doesn't give us any sentence breaks to help us know where one thought ends and the next begins, he, he does build in um, a refrain that kind of marks the end of each section. So in verses 4 through 6, he talks about the Father's part in blessing us, and he says in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Well, then in verses 7 through 12, you see Jesus' part in doing all that. And then verse 12 ends, so that it might be to the praise of his glory. Well, then in verses 13 and 14, he talks about what the Holy Spirit does in the whole process. And then says at the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So there's that refrain, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Now to think that each member of the triune God was involved in a particular way, this is um, something that, that, that should bring a smile to our face. That each member of the triune God was involved in a specific way to make you spiritual, spiritually wealthy. Right now. This is something that you should be smiling about. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each involved in a, a particular way to make you wealthy for all eternity. God's 
infinite gifts, making us infinitely rich. In fact, that's the refrain that I want us to walk away remembering today. God's infinite gifts have made us infinitely rich. Now let's look at how infinitely rich we really are. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now we're going to see three things in this passage, three ways each member of the Trinity played a part in making us ridiculously wealthy spiritually. Now the first thing we see is this in this passage. Our adoption was planned by the Father. That's the first thing we see, that our adoption was planned by the Father. See, part of being spiritually wealthy includes the fact that you and I have been adopted by the Father. In our own nature, we were sinners in rebellion against God, uh, alienated from the Heavenly Father. We were spiritual orphans, and we were helpless to do anything about it. We were a whole race of, of little orphan Annies. But in His mercy and grace, God didn't want to leave us that way, so He adopted a people for Himself. In fact, our adoption into God's family goes all the way back before the created universe, all the way back before time itself, all the way back into eternity past in which only God himself existed. Now, it's easy to take a passage like this, a passage of beautiful praise to God, and to turn it into a big theological argument about predestination and human choice, uh, sovereignty and free will. Does God choose us or do we choose him? Now, there is a place to ponder this, uh, uh, the mind-blowing theological implications laid out here, but Paul doesn't go into any of that, right? He's simply making the, the point that God's purpose was to take undeserving spiritual orphans who were far from him and adopt them into his own family. As verse 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. See, it was God's plan from before the creation of the world to make for himself a people who, by adoption into his family, would be set apart from all others in such a way that they become a reflection of him. It says here that uh, holy and blameless. Now that we're holy means that we're set apart for God. And that we're blameless uh, before him. It means that in his sight, we're no longer rebels, but dearly loved children who should be growing in the likeness of Jesus himself. Look again at verses five and six. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the point here is that our adoption was planned by the Father. Now we need to understand, though, what adoption was like in the first century. Remember, uh, Paul was a Roman citizen. 
An adoption was a, a Roman custom with very specific legal procedures. See, we adopt children today, typically the younger the better, for the purpose of raising a child in a loving home or giving that child the chance at life that they wouldn't have had otherwise. But in the Roman world, adoption was usually done of an adult. So a typical situation might look something like um, a man who is the head of an estate has no son, but he doesn't want to see his estate broken up. So he sees a young man, um, a young man he respects and admires and says to him, well, I'll make you my son. I want to adopt you. So then everything I have will be yours. So upon adoption, several legal things happen immediately. First, all of the new son's old obligations are canceled, right? All his debts, all his legal obligations are gone. Second, this son becomes as wealthy as his father. He immediately gets the father's name and immediately becomes the heir of everything the father has. A third, the father becomes liable for everything the son does. If the son does something stupid, the father pays. If the son does something ridiculous, the father makes it up. Okay, and last, the son, of course, now has the responsibilities of carrying on the name, and he has the responsibilities of honoring that name. So when Paul talks about God adopting you, these are the many incredible implications of what that really means. And all of this, our being chosen to be a, a set-apart people for God and our adoption as sons and daughters, all of this is according to the purpose of God's will and to the praise of God's glorious grace. See, when it says in, in verse 5 that God did this according to the purpose of his will, that simply means that God wanted to do it. Because it made him so very happy to do it. And we also see, this time in verse 6, that God did all of this to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, to magnify his own name. See, God demonstrated his glorious grace by doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And when we share about God's a transformation in our lives, and when we live as those who have been set apart for him, we testify to that grace. Now think for a moment again about Annie. When you see Annie, no longer an orphan, but all cleaned up, wearing fine clothes, sleeping in a nice bed, living in a mansion, you see what a gracious and generous man Daddy Warbucks is. Well, in a similar way, when you see followers of Jesus no longer living in slavery to sin, but wearing the righteousness of Christ, loving and serving one another, reaching out to a hurting world and worshiping God from the heart, you see what a gracious and loving God our Heavenly Father is. Are you seeing how amazing it is that through Christ, the creator of the universe becomes our Father? How awesome it is that he's a perfect Father. He's a father that doesn't die. He's a father who loves you with absolute love and absolute consistency. How incredible that we have a God who took the initiative. It's all his doing. He did the planning. He did the choosing. He did the adopting. He set us on a different trajectory from, from death to life, from darkness to light, from sinner to saint. All to the praise of his glorious grace. Thank you.
Thank you. That was Elizabeth Welty playing Power in the Blood. We really appreciate her ministry at the violin. And we're grateful for all of our team that are helping out during this pandemic uh, to do virtual ministry. Who would have ever thought we would be doing this? You know, like Percy Crawford did a weekly television program back in the 19-whatever, <laughs> and that was once a week. Well, we're doing like almost every day, mm-hmm. which is really cool. So Men's Fellowship Night is tomorrow night. That's right. And what's happening? Well, we are going to be um, doing a virtual Men's Fellowship Night, so uh, we will have our worship time together, a testimony, and then um, our speaker is um, went right out of my head. Pastor Matt, Matt Stokes, Stokes from Coastal Christian Church go. in Ocean City. So there'll be worship, a testimony, a word from Pastor Matt. It'll begin at 7 o'clock on YouTube, Facebook Live, and BoxCast. And I want to encourage you tomorrow to join us for Worship Live at 1.30. And then at 2.30, we have the Ripple Podcast with Jim Lang and another testimony. So again, we look forward to seeing you on Friday for Episode 19 of the Bob and Bill Podcast. Thanks for watching today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let us know. Write us at bewealthy at americaskeswick.org, or it'll be in the description below. If you'd like to learn more information about America's Keswick, you can visit our website at www.americaskeswick.org. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 for the next edition of the podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Tyler. And have a good and godly day.